Today we're on Hebrews chapter 7 in our Bible Plus podcast. Thanks for joining in today. We've got an epic uh, chapter today, but it's really difficult to understand and, and get your hands on what is being conveyed here and what is being revealed about uh, Christ and God's purpose. But it's crucial that we understand it because I would say this is one of the most important points for understanding what the Christian life is all about. If we fail to grasp the revelation of Hebrews chapter 7 and how it connects to the entire thrust of the Bible, the biblical story, if we, if we miss it, then we're going to miss the Christian life. We're going to fall short in God's purpose for our experience. Um, this chapter represents uh, what the Christian life is all about, and it centers on Christ being our high priest. So Hebrews chapter 7 represents the culmination of an argument that's been building in this book um, ever since really chapter 4 has uh, started to focus on this argument as Christ as the superior high priest greater than Aaron. But it's really the central point in the entire book of Hebrews and really in the entire Bible. Every chapter from chapter 2 to 10 in the book of Hebrews mentions the phrase high priest or priest. And it occurs in 33 verses. So it is a highly featured uh, aspect of this book. And when you get to chapter 8, the first verse is going to be, the author is going to say, Now in the things which are being said, the chief point is this. We have such a high priest. So the author tells us that the main point of, of what he's writing is Christ being such a high priest. Now we need to understand the word such properly because such isn't just a superlative here, uh, meaning we have such a great high priest or, you know, so great of a high priest. Such means a certain kind of high priest. And that is what this chapter is going to be all about. What kind of high priest is Christ? He's not just a high, another high priest uh, in a long line and series of high priests that stretch all the way back to Aaron. Christ is a high priest on another level, another plane a whole nother order of high priest, according to Melchizedek. Okay, so we want to look at three points in this chapter. How is Melchizedek, as a type of Christ, greater than Aaron? And number two, why does it matter? And number three, what do we do about it? So how is Christ greater, typified by Melchizedek? Why does it matter? And what do we do about it? We put this just slightly differently. We could say we're going to look at a logical argument, a theological argument, and then get some practical encouragement. Okay, so the first part is on how Christ is greater as a type of Melchizedek. Now, you notice in verse 2 or verse 3, it says Melchizedek is likened to the Son of God. So, the you know, Melchizedek is a mysterious man in the Old Testament. He only appears in four verses. Three of narrative in Genesis 14, one of prophecy in Psalm 110. So the guy doesn't have much said about him, but the author of Hebrews is saying there's something about him that is uh, likened to the Son of God. He's a type of Christ. And so how he proves that he's greater than Aaron is essentially in verse 4, he says, consider how great this one was. And then it centers on two actions that happen between Melchizedek and Abraham. Melchizedek blesses Abraham. Abraham tithes 10% of his 
wealth and spoils of war to Melchizedek. So the story is in Genesis 14. If you want to go look at it, it's only three verses. But the writer uh, capitalizes on these two interactions to say, this proves Melchizedek is greater. Um, And he's greater than Aaron because he goes on to say, well, if you think about it, Abraham eventually becomes Isaac, becomes Jacob, becomes the 12 tribes of Israel, one of which is Levi. Levi is given the priesthood. The priest offers sacrifices on behalf of the whole nation of Israel and all the other 11 tribes tithe to Levi. So Levi is the closest tribe to God's presence, and they, in fact, mediate God's relationship with his people. Well, if you trace Levi, who Aaron is a son of, if you trace Levi up to Abraham, Abraham is tithing to Melchizedek, which, again, all the 11 tribes are tithing to Levi. Levi goes back up to Abraham, his forefather. Abraham tithes to Melchizedek. And Melchizedek blesses Abraham. And the writer says, that proves that Melchizedek is greater. Okay, why does it matter? This isn't just some arcane argument uh, or just real technical discussion. The theological point here is this. The New Testament priesthood of Christ is according to the order of Melchizedek. And that represents a revolution in our relationship with God. You got to pick this up from this chapter what kind of priest Christ is has revolutionized our relationship with God. And Christ's priesthood is greater, not because of some technical argument that you really got to be paying attention to figure out. Christ's priesthood is greater because of what it does. And this is going to center on verse 25. It says, hence also he is able. So what it does, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come forward to God through him. And the point here is that Christ's priesthood does what the Old Testament priesthood could never do. The Old Testament priesthood could never take away sin, and it could never bring us to perfection. And so verse 11 is a big verse in this chapter. It says, If indeed, then, perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, What need was there still that a different priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek, not according to Aaron? So the writer here is is taking up the prophecy of Psalm 110, which is quoted in verse 17. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And he is taking that to imply that there is a lack in the present ordering of God's relationship with man. There's a lack in the setup, in the system of priesthood. There is a lack, and that lack points to a need for some new order and arrangement and relationship to come into being in which God's purpose achieves uh, fulfillment. And that's what this word perfection means. It doesn't just mean you're perfect. It, the word, the Greek word is uh, teleos, which indicates it means a full development, a spiritual, the fullest spiritual development possible. So think about full growth. And in fact, it's the exact same word in Greek back in Hebrews 6, 1, what it says, let us be brought on to maturity. So the point here is that the Old Testament system of priesthood, sacrifice, and law couldn't bring us into the, f- the perfection of God's purpose. And in verse 18 and 19, you have a scathing critique of this. It says, <clears throat> it says, The commandment was three things, weak, unprofitable, and it perfected nothing. How would you like to be in a system that (laughs) is described by being weak, unprofitable, 
and it doesn't actually bring you to fulfillment in God's purpose. So then the prophecy comes in in Psalm 110 that says, okay, well, another priesthood will be set up and that priesthood will bring us to perfection. And what you got to catch is the phrase save to the uttermost in verse 25, that word uttermost is the same Greek root perfection, teleos, pan teleos, all perfection or uttermost. And so this is saying that Christ as a high priest, according to Melchizedek, he can do what the Old Testament priesthood could not do. He can remove sin. He says that in verse 27. This he did once for all when he offered up himself. He took away sins and now he is saving us to the uttermost. Okay, how is he saving us to the uttermost? How does that work? Why could it, Why is this priesthood superior? Go back to verse 16. It says, he was appointed according to the power of an indestructible life. So what is operating in Christ's priesthood, according to this order of Melchizedek, is the indestructible divine life that is powerful, that is able to save us to the uttermost. So what this implies here in this second point of why does it matter is a threefold shift in our relationship with God. Remember, Christ's priesthood represents a revolution in our relationship with God. And it does what the entire Old Testament system could never do. It takes away sin and imparts divine life. And so this, this implies a threefold shift from <clears throat> law to life, from offering to eating, and from restoration to perfection. Okay, from law to life. In the Old Testament, and if we still live by the principle of law, then our relationship by God will be characterized by attempt, failure, forgiveness. Repeat. We attempt to please God by using our own strength to meet the demand of his commandment. We fall short and fail. We ask for forgiveness and we repeat the cycle. So we're we're unable to reach perfection in God's divine life or spiritual maturity. The indestructible life is not just an empty demand like law is. It is a powerful supply that is able to save us to the uttermost. Okay, number two, from offering to eating, the Old Testament was characterized, our relation, their relationship with God was nonstop offering sacrifices. And so they were always offering bulls, animals, goats to atone for their sin. They did this yearly for the whole nation. And Christ has put away sin once for all. This is a major point of the book of Hebrews. And so now what is the center of our relationship is not offering for sin, but eating Christ as life. And this is where Melchizedek's story comes into play because he offers no sacrifice for Abraham's sin. He offers him bread and wine for his enjoyment. And bread and wine are the exact elements of the Lord's table, which represent Jesus's body and blood. That's what he told us. Take and eat. This is my body. Take and drink. This is my blood. And John 6, 54, he had told us before that Jesus says, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. So I hope you see how what Melchizedek does in his being a priest is totally different from what Aaron does in his being a priest. Aaron offers animals to take away sin, which never actually takes away sin. Melchizedek offers Abraham the very elements of the Lord's table, which represent Jesus's own divine life. Okay, and this brings us to the third point of the shift from restoration to perfection. 
Under the Old Testament law, and if we still live in that sort of principle, then our relationship with God is just one of always being restored. You know, we fail and we're restored. We fail, we're restored. But we never we never get to a point of um, not failing. We never overcome our sin. We never overcome our anger, our lust, our temper, our pride. Melchizedek's ministry in Christ brings us to perfection. That's what it means, save to the uttermost. Okay. Okay, what's the last point? What do we do about it? So we see how he's greater, both logically and theologically. Obviously, the theological part is the juicy part. He saves us to the uttermost through the supplying of his divine life, which is what he's ministering still today in his priesthood from the heavens. What do we do about it? Verse 25 says, He is able to save to the uttermost those who come forward to God through him. So this is a practical encouragement and something we need to remember Always, but especially when we're down, when we're depressed, when we're discouraged, when we've had a recent failure, we need to remember Christ has already put away this sin. He's already paid for it. He's done that once for all. And now there is nothing between us and God that should prevent us from coming forward with boldness to access the divine life, to receive the supply in Christ's ministry, and to enjoy being saved to the uttermost. So what do we do? We come forward. We draw near to God, and this is our better hope. We know when we draw near to God, his divine life will swallow up our shortages, make up our lack, and save us to the uttermost. Save us into the perfect expression of God that Jesus himself displayed in his humanity. That very perfected humanity is being supplied to us through his ministry. So, I love this chapter because it combines such deep and dense and profound theological truths with the most simple of practices, coming forward to God, calling on his name to enjoy his presence, to activate his priesthood.